Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning we're talking about a very heavy topic, but a very important topic, and a topic that we don't need to be ashamed of. Continuing in our series, Avoiding Confusion, the message this morning is entitled, The Sanctity of Life. Please enjoy. All right, take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1 this morning, Genesis chapter 1. We're continuing in our Sunday morning series entitled, Avoiding Confusion. Avoiding Confusion. And I'm really excited about this series because there's a lot of confusion going on in our country. There's a lot of confusion going on in our society, and you can't watch the news without seeing the confusion and we got to address it and it's not about what we think but what does the word of God say and one of the things that we're talking about when we talk about a biblical worldview is realizing that we as Christians have absolute truth and that is found in the word of God and the word of God is our absolute truth it's our infallible absolute truth And we're going to talk about worldview this morning. We're going to talk about a sensitive subject this morning. Very heavy, very sensitive subject this morning. If you have your places in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to ask you one last time to stand in respect and reverence to the word of God. We're going to read three verses this morning, starting in verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them two, two genders. That's another message. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The title of the message this morning is The Sanctity of Life. The Sanctity of Life. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this morning that you would clear our hearts and minds to accept the word of God. Lord, we're going to be looking at biblical principles this morning that you laid out in your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be open and receptive to hear your truths. And Lord, I pray that you would help us build and promote a biblical worldview. Thank you for all you've done for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every person has a way to make sense of the events in your life. And the way in which you make sense of events that happen in your life is called your worldview. It structures the beliefs and ideas in your life. Um, we, you go rent a cabin in the woods. When I go to Gatlinburg, a couple things I look for. Okay, got to have a view. Man, what's the point in going to a cabin in the mountains if you can't have a view? And then two, it's got to have a hot tub. Got to have my hot tub. Okay, if I'm in Gatlinburg, got to have my hot tub. 
okay? I don't know what Emily and the kids are going to do, but I'm going to be in the hot tub, okay? And so, you know, there's some things that this got to have, but, you know, you go to a cabin and you, you, somebody builds a cabin and out in the distance there's a mountain range and then behind you is a cliff. Well, you're not going to frame, put the window, the big window facing the cliff. You're going to uh, turn the, the window around and you're going to frame the window where it sees that big mountain range off in the distance. So you're going to frame it out, and that's what you're going to see. That's what a worldview is. It's what you frame your life around and what you see. It's what you look through. It's the lens that you look through. A worldview not only makes sense to the world around you, but also gives you a purpose. Now, I want to, since we're talking about a worldview, I want to say that a worldview and, philosoph- and a world philosophy is not the same thing. A philosophy asks questions like, what is truth? What is good? What is real? What is knowledge? What are morals? What is man? And to that, where did man come from? What is the meaning of life? Is there life after death? Does man have free will? And philosophy does is try to find the answers to all of these questions. What a worldview does is takes the answers to those questions and tries to make it coherent and tries to make it all fit and make sense together. That is what a worldview is. A worldview takes those answers and tries to make sense of them. So beliefs and ideas form worldviews. There are consequences for wrong worldviews. There are consequences for it. But then you have a biblical worldview. Now, the biblical worldview that we're going to talk about this morning is that human life is always given supreme value in the Bible. I'm going to show you that this morning. Human life is always given supreme value in the Bible. Now, as we go through this truth this morning... I want you to remember that truth is of the utmost importance, especially to a Christian. Truth matters above all else because it's truth. And you promote truth and you preach truth and you hold up truth and you stand behind truth because truth is truth. But here's the thing. What Paul say? Speak the truth in love. So truth matters, but tone matters too. Speak the truth in love. Now, the reason why I bring that up, because I'm going to talk about a very sensitive subject. If you couldn't have told, went from where I'm going, if you can't, you know, hadn't catched my drift yet, you will here in a second. But I'm going to talk about a very sensitive subject. And it's a subject this morning that more than likely somebody in this building or somebody who's listening online has been touched by this in some way, or knows somebody that's been touched by this in some way. And so we're, we're talking, we're going to talk about abortion this morning. And we know, so, you know, we, we maybe know someone who's been touched by this, or maybe you who are listening here or online have been touched by it. Now, if you have... I want you to remember a few things as we go through this. The grace of God is deep. 
The forgiveness of God is deep. And you do not have to feel guilty. Jesus takes away guilt. That's what He does. You don't have to live in your guilt. You don't have to live in your past when you're a part of, of Christ and we're in your child of God. Your, your past is forgiven. There's grace. There's forgiveness. You can live a guilt-free life. So I understand that this is a sensitive subject and I'm going to do my best to speak the truth of God in love but we still have to speak the truth of God. A lot of people who are advocates for abortion say it's not that bad. But the reason why they say that is because they're fighting against their own guilt. The reason why they say that. Some of the greatest experiences in my life have been to be in the delivery room when my boys were being born, okay, on this side of the curtain. <laughs> even before the decision was made for C-section, I'd be like, I'm going to be up here. This is where I'll be. Dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? No, sir. That is what I pay you for. I'm good. I'm good. So Colin was born, Emily, I'm not going to tell this story how I normally tell it, just so you know. You will in a second. Um, so Colin was born, and I went out into the delivery room. You got it? Okay. I went out into the delivery room, and everybody's, oh, you know, who does he look like? Who does he look like? And I said, he looks like my dad. He looks like Reggie Martin. Well, my mom and my dad were divorced, and she didn't like that answer. She was like, really? She didn't like that. I said, yeah, it looks like my dad. But you know what? The Bible says something very interesting, and it's the core of the truth that I'm going to talk about this morning. We are made in the image of God. We are made... In the image of God. So man, that means some things. What does being made in the image of God mean? Well, the first thing it means is that human life is sacred. Every human life is sacred. The word sacred comes from the Latin and it literally means belonging to God. It literally means belonging to God. So God puts more human lives, more value on human life than, say, a dog or a cat or any animal. So when you see these people condemn you for eating meat, that's unbiblical. Because you don't put the same value on an animal that you do on a human being. Because human beings are made in the image of God. Genesis 2.7 Then the Lord formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. A soul. Man. 
What is a soul? I, I have a soul. Bible says I have a soul. Psalms 103 says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Then it says, and all that is within me. That's what a soul is. A soul is everything that makes up you. Everything about us, everything that it is, what everything that makes us unique. You understand this morning that it is your soul that reflects some of the characteristics of God. Is your soul that reflects some of the characteristics of God? I mean, we can love, we can forgive, we can execute justice, we can even, with the help of the Holy Spirit, be holy. I'd like to see Rover try to do that. He can't. Why? Because he wasn't made in the image of God. I was. So I can reflect some of the characteristics of God because I was made in his image. He breathed life into me. I became a living soul. An animal does not have a soul. A human does. I'm giving you Bible this morning. We have the ability to mirror qualities of God's nature. He has given us rule over nature. He has given us dominion. He didn't give that to anybody else. He gave that to human beings. So we reflect to some degree God, and animals don't. Job 33.4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So know what God has done. God has said, human life is sacred. Human life is valuable. Human life is more valuable than any other life. Remember I said last week we're not going to have some big dissertation discussion on the moral implications of stepping on a spider? Remember why I said that? Uh, it's because our life means more. Now look, you're gonna, you're, you know, there are going to be some, some, some PETA member out there and, and some vegan that's going to hear that and they're going to flip their lid over what I'm trying to say, but that is Bible. Human life has a specific beginning. Psalms 139, 13-14. You created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Man, in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Isn't it interesting that every time in the word of God, we see an individual inside the womb, that individual is given personhood, even though they're not born yet. Unborn babies in this book are given personhood. The baby inside of the womb is life. In the book of Exodus, if two men, it says if two men are fighting and they knock over a pregnant woman and she loses her baby, then those two men have to answer for that. Because God considers a, an unborn child more than just a lump of sails. In the gospel, if you read the gospels, you will find that Jesus is referred to as a baby both inside and outside the womb. 
he is referred to as a baby. So it didn't matter whether he was born or not. He was a baby both inside and outside the womb. Human life has a special purpose. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who was called by my name and whom I created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. You know, for the Christian, uh, this, this world isn't everything for us. Man, after this world is another world. After this life is another life. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. And I have a Savior that died for me and shed His blood. And I accepted that Savior. And I was washed in that blood. And my sins were forgiven. And I have a home in heaven. And one day when I draw my last breath, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going to see all my friends and family one day who've accepted. Christ and we'll be together with Jesus for all of eternity I have that hope in Christ it's a hope that lost people do not have so not only do I have life but I have eternal life and we can enjoy this sacred gift that God has given us called life so we bear in resemblance we, so we bear a resemblance to the degree that he allows us to. But then something happened. Something happened. Something happened in chapter 3. Very huge in scripture. And we call it the fall of man. Old smutty face, the devil came up to Eve. And the devil was the most, he's a serpent, was the most subtle, subtle animal in the garden. And he said, Yea, hath God said. He began to question the command of God not to eat of the tree. And isn't that how the devil works? The devil makes you question. The devil said, Yea, hath God said. And he tricked Eve in the eating of the fruit. And she gave to her husband, and he did eat. And man fell. So, what does that mean? Does that mean that this life that God created isn't valuable anymore because it fell? Does that mean that the value has went down on human life? Well, does that mean human life isn't sacred anymore? Genesis 9, 6. Whosoever sheds human blood by, by, by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made mankind. So it looks like even after the fall, man's life still has value. Even though we're marred and we're fractured and we're broken by sin, we still have value because we were made in the image of God. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death passed upon all man, men, for that all have sinned. This world is fractured. This world is broken because of sin. The other day, the cat was on the counter and knocked the glass off onto the floor, and it shattered. It's amazing the distance that those glass shards go and whoosh, just spread out everywhere. And we swept it up and we cleaned it up and everything was all in good. And then about three or four days, days later, I'm bebopping through my kitchen in my bare feetsies. 
and step on a piece of glass and pull it out. She had to get, she had to pull the piece of glass out of my foot. Bandage me up. I was bleeding. Thank you. And uh, you know what that piece of glass was? It was a reminder of a previous event that had happened. And when you turn on the news and you see all the fracturedness and you see all the brokenness on the news, what is it a reminder of? It's a reminder of an event that happened before. We are fractured and we are broken because of sin. And even though we're marred and even though we're broken and even though we're fractured, we're still made in the image of God. Like if I had a mirror that was cracked. Yeah, it's cracked, but you can look in the mirror and you can still make out, make out what it is. There's an article I want to read, some portions of this article to you. The article is, the title is, So What If Abortion Ends Life? This is a person who is pro-choice, but she uses pro-life arguments. Okay? Let me read you some things from this article. She said, I believe life starts at conception, and it has never stopped me from being pro-choice. She says, Yet I know that throughout my own pregnancies, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is, a human life. This is somebody arguing for abortion. And that does not make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. And then she points out the irony and hypocrisy of people that, gets abor- that get abortions. This, this is what she said. I have friends who refer to their abortion in terms of scraping out a bunch of cells. But then a few years later, were excited over pregnancies that they wanted to keep and unhesitatingly described them in terms of the baby and this kid. You see, she used pro-life arguments to point out the hypocrisy and how silly it is for some people to say, oh, well, this pregnancy is just a lump of cells. Oh, but when it's a pregnancy I want to keep, oh, well, now it's a baby. So she pointed that out. But then she said this. When we try to act like a pregnancy doesn't involve human life, we wind up drawing stupid semantic lines in the sand. First trimester versus abortion, first trimester abortion versus second trimester versus late term. Dancing around the issue, trying to decide if there's a single magic moment when a fetus becomes a person. Are you human only when you're born? Only when you're viable outside the womb? And then she said this. If by some random fluke I learned today I was pregnant, you bet I'd have an abortion. I'd have the world's greatest abortion. I still need to acknowledge my conviction that the fetus is indeed a life, but it is a life worth sacrificing. How do we respond to that? Don't you see how humans will demonstrate their sinful nature? How humans will demonstrate their depravity? Man, I tell you, sometimes we pro-lifers, we, 
we rely on statistics and we rely on numbers and we rely on scientific studies and scientific discoveries. And that's all well and good. I'm going to give you some scientific uh, discoveries here in a second. I've got some statistics that I'm going to give you. But at the end of the day, Christians stand on Scripture. We stand on the truths found in the Word of God. We stand on the authority of our Bible. John 3.19, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. Man is going to love darkness always and forever. Let me say this. Life is a spiritual issue. It's not politics. It's not politics. It is a spiritual issue. I can stand in here and preach this because it is a spiritual issue. Life is a spiritual issue. Now, we don't have time to get into it this morning. We talked a little bit in a couple week, uh, week or so ago about in Romans 1, what we see is the trademarks of a fallen, broken society. Romans 1.25, for the exchange the truth of God for falsehood. That's what the devil did in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, uh, God didn't stutter. I mean, Adam and Eve knew they shouldn't eat of the tree. Adam knew it. Eve knew it. And they did it anyway. God didn't stutter. He was very clear. But the devil came in and brought confusion. And then, man, not long after the fall of man, one chapter later, we had the first murder. One chapter later, the reign of death had begun. Life that was valued so much by God was taken so cheaply by murder. But why is there confusion where God's word gives clarity? Why is the truth of God being turned into a lie? When did we get to the point where 1.3 million babies a year are killed? That's more people that were in the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Desert Storm, Iraq, Afghanistan. Add them all up. It's more people than the Americans than died in all of those combined every single year. Every single year. 22% of all pregnancies end in abortion. Romans 1.32, and although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death, may not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This is talking about the reprobate mind. They know the ordinance of God. They know what God says on this matter, but yet they choose to ignore Him. There's a movement called Shout Your Abortion Story. Celebrate the taking of your baby's life. There's absolutely no shame. Governor Cuomo in the past lit up the World Trade Center monument in pink light to celebrate and recognition of the Reproductive Health Care Act that funded abortions. So you see, it is an act of worship. It is an act of worship. You see, the Canaanites would take their babies and they had a god called Molech and they would build a fire in the belly of Molech. 
and they would stoke that fire and add to that fire until the arms just got red hot. And really, they'd take the babies they didn't want or they couldn't afford, and they would lay those ba- give those babies to the priests, and those priests would take those babies and lay them in the arms of Molech, and they would scream. And you know what they would do in the villages? They'd beat the drums where the parents couldn't hear. And then when those babies started screaming, they'd beat the drums even louder so the parents did not have to hear them scream in agony. Oh, but fetuses don't feel pain. Really? Well, why don't you tell that to the abortion doctor who ultrasound a, a, a baby while it was being torn apart and watch his mouth open and scream in agony? A silent scream. Abortion is a sacrifice made on the altar of self and convenience. Look, this is a heavy topic. But let me ask you a question for a second, Christians. Are we making too much of this? Is this really that big a deal? Are we just crazy for standing on this, standing on a little soapbox? Or are, are we making too much of this? Well, how should we respond then? A couple of ways we should respond to this. Number one, we need to respond with clarity. We need to respond with clarity. How do we get clarity from, uh, how do we avoid the confusion and get clarity? I used to always ask for directions. I got Siri now. But back in the day, everybody had that atlas behind the seat. And you lift the seat up and you grab the atlas and you, and you find the state that you're in. Or, or you pull into the rest stop and you use the bathroom and you come out and you look at the map and you find the star. You are here. Okay. Now I know how much I have to go. Let me, let me, all right. This, how big this, that's an hour. And then I measure how long I've got. That's how we used to do it back in the day. But you know, I used to always get turned around and ask for directions. But Christians, we need to speak clearly where God speaks clearly. We need to speak clearly where God speaks clearly. Satan's M.O. is confusion. God didn't stutter in Genesis. He spoke clearly. He knew it. Adam knew it. Eve knew it. Everybody knew it. But Satan came in there and brought confusion. He's still trying to bring confusion. Planned Parenthood came out with a video. In this video... They say they're going to stop using some terms that are divisive. One of the words that they're going to stop using is the word life. They're not going to use the word life anymore because it's too divisive. I know what else they say. They also say that abortion is not a black and white issue. According to the scripture, it is a black and white issue. Abortionists pro pro choice of proponents they they talk about the the viability of a fetus can the fetus survive outside of the mother maybe that's when life is is when it can survive outside of the mother's womb they talk about oh well maybe life begins whenever the fetus is cognizant like we're talking about coma patients here Okay. Oh, well, maybe the fetus is, is, maybe life begins when you can start to hear a heartbeat. Well, what about people that have pacemakers? 
Is their life any less valuable than yours? Is it though? I mean, so, so what are we talking about here? Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was brought forth in guilt and in sin did my mother conceive me. Life at conception. The Bible talks about the fruit of the womb being a reward. Scripture is very clear that life begins at conception. But you know what? Scientific evidence agrees with the Bible. Um, all 46 chromosomes, you get 23 from your mom, 23 from your dad. All 46 are present on day one. You're a living person. At three weeks, you can hear the heartbeat. Five weeks, eyes, legs, hands develop. At six weeks, the brain waves can be measured. At seven weeks, fingerprints, every body organ has already developed. At 10 weeks, facial expressions. You can see facial expressions at 10 weeks. At three months, a hand can hold on to things. At four months, a baby can dream. I was wondering, what does a baby dream about? up in there I mean we'd be laying in bed and when Emily was pregnant with Colin and he would just kick me to death I was wondering what is going on up in there you know let me ask you a question does it sound like I'm describing to you a lump of cells or does it sound to you like I'm describing a living person you not only does science evidence agree with the Bible human conscience agrees with the Bible there's an organization out there called Saving the Stork. What Saving the Stork does is they park outside of abortion clinics and they offer free uh, sonograms to any mother going in to getting an abortion. And the abortionists hate this. You know why? 84% of women who get a sonogram before an abortion don't go through with it. And they absolutely hate it. That four states have already required it by law. They have to have a sonogram before they get an abortion. Now, of course, the abortionists hate this, and they say, "Oh, well, this this undermines the 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 they uh, this undermines the doctor and patient relationship." And of those who back out of the abortion, sixty percent of those women say that they were pressured to do it in the first place. Not only does scientific evidence agree with the Bible, human conscience agrees with the Bible, but the abortion industry agrees with the Bible. Abby Johnson was Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year. One day she's performing an abortion, and she wrote a book about this. One day she's performing an abortion. She has it on there. She can see the whole profile of the baby. She puts the probe in and she sees the probe going towards the baby. And as the probe gets near the baby, the baby backs away and pushes away the probe. And it was at that instant she said to herself, what in the world am I doing? She left that clinic that day and she never performed one more abortion. But you see, they don't tell you the dark side 
of these abortion clinics. They don't tell you how they sell black market body parts. They don't tell you about the disgusting inner city clinics that are just full of filth. They don't tell you about the over 400 women who have died from an abortion. They don't tell you about botched abortions. They don't tell you about abortions that, that have resulted in a live birth. There are places in America where you can't boil a lobster because of the pain. You will cause it. Unborn children can feel that pain. The silent scream. How should we respond? We should respond with clarity, but also we should respond with conviction. Look, don't worry about hurting someone's feelings when it comes to this. Stand firm and strong. Speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. Speak the truth. God absolutely hates shedding innocent blood. Uh, Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to Him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Wait a minute. God? God hates? God hates somebody? Well, let me explain. When, when we had just bought our house in Magnolia, um, right in the front yard, there's a big tree. And Colin stepped on a yellow jacket nest in the ground. And those yellow jackets were come up and they were popping him. And we, we grabbed him and brought him inside and, and stripped him off and got all those yellow jackets off of him. And then I went next door to my cousin's house. And me and my cousin came back over with a gallon of gasoline. And we poured gas over in that thing, and man, we had, we was Joe in the volcano over there. It was fire shooting up. We could jump on the ground, a puff of, puff of fire would come up out the ground. We was, we, was, we was burning them up. I hated them yellow jackets. Why did I hate the yellow jackets? Because I love my son. Why does God hate the shedding of innocent blood? He hates it, not because he's a hating God. He hates it because he's a loving God. And what does he love? He loves life. He loves life. Abortion is the exact opposite of the gospel. The gospel says, I lay down my life for you. And abortion says, you lay down your life for me. But then... When anytime you talk about somebody who's pro-choice, they always bring this up. Well, what about rape and incest? What about rape and incest? As if that like, like it happens all the time. But you know what? Did you know that abortions due to rape and incest are about 1% of all abortions? Less than 1%. I gave that statistic to somebody and one uh, uh, somebody recently said, oh, well, I don't know where you got that number from. That's a fake number. It was uh, put out by the Guttmacher Institute. If somebody wants to look that up for me uh, at, uh, later on, that's it's a real number. The point is, the point isn't how the child was conceived. The point is a child was conceived. An abortion does not fix the problem. It compounds the problem. Creating a second victim will not undo the damage of a rape. 
It won't do it. The morality of abortion does not change based on need. It doesn't. Justice would demand that you punish the offender, not the innocent unborn child. Punish the offender. Don't create a second victim. Abortionists say, let's keep abortion safe, legal, and rare. Well, you know what? They may be legal, but they're not safe. They never have been. And guess what? They're not rare either. The abortion industry is an, is an industry of death. Since Roe v. Wade, 55 million babies have been murdered. Some women describe the experience of abortion as just the most awful thing they've ever been, been through. Going up, throwing up afterwards. Some women, they carry this guilt around with them for years. And the doctors say, oh, it's just like having a root canal. You don't remember the anniversary of a root canal. There are no support groups for a root canal. Many of these women are susceptible to mental health issues for years afterwards. What does the Bible say? Proverbs 31.9, open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the poor and needy. We need people to stand up and speak for people who can't speak for themselves. What did God tell Cain? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me. Abortion, the murder of the silent scream. Well, you might not can hear that scream, but God does. He hears the scream. Psalms 94, 16 and 17. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his hand for me against those who do injustice? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in the land of silence. We can't be silent on this issue. It doesn't matter how aggravating it gets, how frustrating it gets to those people out there, how much they dismiss us, how much they shun us away, how much they persecute us. We have to speak this truth. Somebody told me recently, man, you know what? If the government can't tell you to wear a mask, then you can't tell a woman what she can do with her body. And you know what my answer to that is? It's not her body. That baby inside of her is a separate, independent life. That body, that is a separate life. It belongs to someone else. And that's what it is according to this scripture. And the only way to say opposite of that is to deny scripture and I can't understand people who will walk into a church on Sunday morning to worship God and they advocate for the killing of unborn children I'll never understand that how can you say that you believe in God and you believe in this Bible and believe that I don't get it it perplexes me I don't understand I don't get it now, finally, we need to respond with compassion. You ever notice that Jesus had very strong words for anybody who would hurt children? Jesus 
stood up for children. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Compassion is conviction converted into action. And we should have compassion towards human life. So here's the thing. What can Christians do? What can we do about it? Well, number one, we can pray. We can pray. We need to very often pray on this issue. Pray that the Lord will lay on the hearts of our leaders and convict them of this truth. Next we can do is we can share the gospel. You understand if more people are saved, and if more people have the gospel, and the more people belong to God, the more people there will be to fight in this battle. Then we can speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to speak the truth. You may have some family members in your family that don't agree with this and you're afraid you don't want to rock the boat. Speak the truth. Don't be obnoxious about it. Be loving about it, but don't be afraid to speak the truth. Adopt. We can adopt unwanted children. Now, isn't it a shame that it costs thousands upon thousands of dollars to adopt a child, but you can kill one for just a couple hundred? But no matter the cost, adopt. Educate those around you. If somebody is genuinely asking about why is this right, why is this wrong, man, jump at the chance to jump in there and take the Bible and explain to them why it's wrong. Educate those around you. And then volunteer services. In many cities, there's crisis pregnancy centers and there are other, other organizations that, that help women in this area in their life. You can volunteer and partner with like-minded people. And then this is the final one. Vote for pro-life candidates. The church, is, this is not a political organization. This is not a political organization. We rally around the banner of the cross. This is not a political or, but these are not political issues. These are spiritual issues. And we belong to a free society. And we walk out that door, we have the right to vote. And we ought not vote along party lines. We need to vote according to the word of God. God has valued these marred, marred images of God so much that God sent His Son to ransom people out of spiritual slavery, including the sin of abortion. John 3.17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. I want to leave you this morning with just one thought. If you go to Genesis 3.15 in your Bible, what you're going to find there is you're going to find the first time the gospel is mentioned in the Word of God. We're going to read it. The Bible says in Genesis 3.15, And I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The focus of the first gospel message is an unborn child. That child was Jesus. Jesus came and he bruised the head of that serpent. 
It's because of Jesus we have hope. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope in Christ? If you don't, we need to get it. Look, this is some serious, heavy stuff that we're talking about this morning. But it's the truth of God. And we need to speak it.